You know, I do, I do think, though, as, as uh, folks come in and they are part of, are, are just taking their first steps into the life of the church, and you may be uh, one of those today who are trying to understand all that's going on. It is fairly confusing, uh, these titles and, and phrases that we use. Um, you know, as we sang that first song just a few minutes ago, uh, when we talked about the, the lion and the lamb, the lion of Judah, uh, the lamb that was slain, uh, those, are, uh, those are really churchy, Christian kind of terms. But let, me, uh, let me give you a little uh, a guide, a little key to those words. Uh, when we talk about the Lion of Judah, we're talking about what was promised to the people of God, that there would be one who would come and who would reign. And, and that is Jesus. He's from the tribe of Judah. And so he is king. He's the one that was promised. And so as we come together, especially on this day, we think about the Lion of Judah. As he comes in as part of the, the stories, we're celebrating this week, Holy Week, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem for that final week before he is going to be killed on the cross and then resurrect on, a few days later. We are recognizing him as king. They're seeing him as, as a king entering into the city to bring peace, to, to, to be the Lion of Judah. Amen. And as the other part of the song, he has to be, in order to be the Lion of Judah, he's also going to be something else. He's going to be a lamb that was slain for us. And so he, in a few, uh, within that week, he's going to die as a sacrificial lamb to cover the sins for his people, thus making him the king. And so maybe we should just keep on singing that song because it, it, within that is the gospel message. Yes. That there's a God who reigns and he loves his people so much that he's willing to die for them. And it would take his death and his resurrection to win us our freedom and our grace. And so we can sing full-bodied <laughs> as we recognize the Lion of Judah and the Lamb that was slain. Um, as we've been going, uh, watching the life of Jesus, we have been in uh, Matthew chapter 5, will be 5, 6, and 7 uh, for a, a little while now as we see Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is this instruction that Jesus is giving to his people about this new kind of kingdom. And this is the question that we have today that I think is going to be answered through these scriptures. And that question is, what is good it also has with it that question of have the rules changed? As we look around the world today, we wonder, have the rules changed? Some of the things that a generation ago we said were not all right are all right today. And some of the things that were a generation ago that were said were wrong uh, are now considered right. So there's this kind of mix of things. What, what is good? What is right? What is true? What is permissible? What can you do? And what can you really not do? Today, when you think about marriage, I, I, as I get to visit with folks in the community, and the view of what marriage is is far different than what the Bible is talking about. The ma marriage is, well, question is, if you get married. I, I did. <laughs> Good job. We worked through that, so now he's married. Yeah. As pertains to marriage, the question about is it appropriate to have sex with someone before marriage, to live with someone who's before marriage? Uh, 
Is it okay for you to marry someone of the same sex as you? In this age, we have to ask those questions. Our world is saying something different. As you, if you walk around and you talk to people, you're going to get a lot of different answers to those questions. Have, has the context changed that these things are right? Or if you think about the law, is the law, the law for the rich in order to get an advantage or is it for the poor and we should give them an advantage? Well, it's a good question. Have the rules in the Bible been surpassed in some way or done away with? Are we only living with a particular kind of lesson from the Bible, this golden rule? And so we can judge everything, everything is good or bad according to this golden rule. And all the rest of it doesn't really matter. Is it just the golden rule? And not really even all the golden rule. Because you know, the golden rule is, it really starts out with that we have, to, we have to love our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second law unto this is, like this, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so really, even today, it's like, well, you don't even have the first part of that. You know, the golden half rule. The half golden rule. Just as long as you don't do things that in some way interfere or hurt someone else, everything is permissible. So as we are walking in this world, and as Jesus is also walking in a world that has some ambiguity about uncertainty about what is right and wrong, and definitely have the wrong kinds of practices in that culture, the same today. And the truth is, this, how you come down on this issue is very important. The stakes are very high. The culture as at war with the teachings of the Bible. Yet the Bible says if you fail the test of righteousness, you will, the wages of that failure is death. Eternal separation from God. That road leads to death and destruction. Finally, to eternal separation from God according to what the Bible says. So the stakes are high. We need to kind of have an idea of what is the right way. What does the Bible say? So Jesus uh, is in the Beatitudes, is, is he's giving these Beatitudes, and after the Beatitudes, he, ne- he now focuses, focuses, and last week we saw that, that if you live out these Beatitudes, it is not just for your own personal satisfaction or just your personal relationship with God. It will have its effect in the community around us where you will be salt, preserving that which is good, and you will be light, dispelling the darkness. And now he changes the conversation And as he changes the conversation, I'm just going to read it for you. Chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Jesus is saying this to the disciples and those who are around. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> so, you know, with that, little, that last phrase, everyone goes, what? Wait, wait, wait. Could you repeat what was said before? Because apparently the stakes are pretty high. Now, I want to tell you, this message maybe is a little different from the rest of these. Uh, we are in a sound, sound bite culture, right? So we catch sound bites of this and that, and then, and usually it's taken out of context and you try to understand from a different, you know, like, I, I, you know, it, it's more nuanced than that usually. And I want to tell you, as we look at these scriptures, this is, Jesus is giving a sound bite, but it requires a lot of explanation. It requires a lot of context. And so today, bear with me uh, as we go through a lot of context in order to get to the, the truth that's found in these scriptures. This, this context is known to the hearers as, as, as it is happening, as Jesus is giving this soundbite, the people understand what he's saying. Not so for us. So be patient as we go and we look at the, the context for this. Today we're going to sc- discuss what is the law and prophets. We're going to talk about who are scribes and Pharisees. We are going to ask the question, is it even possible to enter the kingdom of heaven by exceeding the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? That's a lot to do. So stick with me. If y'all were first century Jews, this would be much easier. But So I'm putting it on you, all right? So get your act together. Historically, at this moment, the Jews have have left captivity, they've come back to Israel, and they're inhabiting this, inhabiting this place, but they are under the thumb of Rome. And so although they have a place, they are mixed with other people, and they do not have their own rule over themselves. Except for just recently, right before this, there was a revolt by the Maccabees. And the Maccabees were like... Uh, were these kind of like a, did guerrilla warfare. And they were fighting to get control back of God's people and God's land. And so from that, oh, I'm going to tie my shoelaces. I know there's some of you with OCDC are very nervous about all of this. Okay. Okay. It's not OCDC, isn't it? That's ACDC. I'm working on it. Okay. So from the Maccabees, became, there, there came another, a zealous group of those who are bringing revival among the people of God, calling them back to the law. Now, if you know your, your Bible history, there, there, has been, there has been a time in which the law was lost altogether. There, and there are even longer times in which they had the law, but they had no desire to follow it. But... Here, in the time of Jesus, there is this religious group who have a lot of influence, who are the Pharisees. And they are coupled with the scribes. The scribes are the ones who copy down the Word of God. And they they weren't just copyists, but they were also those who knew the Word. I mean, they're spending time in it. So they understood the language and the history and the text itself, unlike anybody else in Israel. 
And the Pharisees, they were ones who were calling the people of God to a holiness that they had not had before. They were calling them to a, a fervent study and following of the scriptures. And in many ways, this looked like the heyday of great theology and understanding and life as the people of God. They came from a people called the Hasidim, which were the, the pious ones. And the, the word Pharisee has the root in the word separatist. They are ones who separated themselves from the culture and the world around them in order to be faithful followers after God. And everyone said, yes! It looked like things were going in the right direction. And so they, they took in the Word of God and they studied the Word of God. They even, at times, would place it on their foreheads. They dressed like the word of God. They talked like the word of God. And they are reading the Hebrew, whereas the congregation, the people, were speaking Aramaic. And so not, not many were, were very versed in Hebrew. So they began to become the experts in the law because nobody else could read it. <laughs> and so now they were calling the people, come and be faithful to this. And as they did, because our hearts are forever making idols, they made the laws and expounded upon the laws so that they more more accessible and applied to everyone. And so in order to observe the Sabbath day and make it holy and, and not to, to work on the Sabbath, they had to make a bunch of rules which delineated whether you were working or not. And the rules kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And what they ended up doing is making the laws more accessible to themselves so they could, they could explain away the things that were more, more difficult for them. So when it came to marriage... The Pharisees gave, gave all kinds of reasons why you could be divorced and made it so easy. Basically, you could burn toast, and that would be grounds for divorce. But you're following the law, right? So they even began to apply what were priestly laws to the people so they could not come in contact with those things that are unclean. And so you, you have these laws upon laws. So now the, the Jewish people could not sit with someone who was unclean. They couldn't sit with a, a Gentile, a non-Jew. They couldn't sit with someone who was wounded. Someone, they couldn't sit with someone who was dead. So that's, that doesn't make for a good dinner party anyway. But So they made these laws more accessible and applicable to everyone else, and they added to the law and added to the law, and this becomes a context in which Jesus appears. So already ringing in your ear, when you hear that, that you have to be more righteous than the Pharisees, you kind of go, I think I'm going to have a problem with that, right? Because they had a lot of rules, and they followed them. When we talk about the, the law and the prophets, 
We talk about the law, and it is the first five books, considered the five, first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's also called the book of Moses. Moses is the one who, who uh, brought the, the law down, and he administrated the law. And so these are the books of Moses. Within this law, there are several different ways we can look at them, certain kinds of laws within them. When it says prophets, it's talking about those prophets who come and spoke uh, about the people of God. And it's, it's using the law, the first foundational books, and saying, here's how the people of God are doing against what God has promised and, and what he said about himself and who we are to be. And so the prophets then spoke about those things in foretelling. This is how you're failing people when they look at the word of God. And then they also were foretelling. They're saying, but there's got to be something else. God is giving them a vision, a dream, an understanding. There's something that's greater that's yet to come that's going to have to solve this incongruity where, where you can't keep up with the law. And so there's, there is hope, is what the prophets were saying. You're about to have some real trouble, but there is hope, is what they're saying. And so when he says the law and prophets, he's really saying from Genesis all the way to the end of the prophets, all of that, you need to observe that. You need to follow that. And so when he talks about the law, there, there are three ways to look at the law. You can, you can look especially at the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers in, in the book of the law. Those were, those were laws that were one moral laws. You can think about the Ten Commandments. Here are the ways that you should live. And these are the kinds of laws that we've written more laws off of in the United States. Then you had a ceremonial law, a law that said, in order to be faithful worshipers, you need to do this thing. This is how the Levites are supposed to act. So these are the, the, the leaders in worship. That's how they're supposed to act. This is how the, the priests and the high priests are to act. And this is what they're supposed to do to atone for things. This is how you are made right. They will receive the sacrifices of the people, and they will bring those, and they will burn them and bring them to God. So these, these ceremonial laws. And then there's another category that would be like a civil law that says that, that if you do this, then this happens to you. If Israel is like this, this is what's going to happen to Israel. And so there is a, a civil law, uh, like a, a tablet of law that you would stand before a judge, and they would use that law to say whether you're innocent or guilty and what should happen to you if you break those laws. So when Jesus says, when he's talking about the law and the prophets, he's talking about all of those things, and he's saying that that law is good. Now, there's a, there's a question that everyone's having, especially the Pharisees and the scribes. Because as Jesus is walking, even early on into his ministry and throughout, it seems like Jesus isn't following some of those laws. Because Jesus, well, on the Sabbath, when you're not supposed to work, you're not supposed to lift a finger, he's healing people. When, when Jesus comes into, in contact with someone who is sick, hurt, when he comes in contact with a leper who's not even supposed to be inside the city, and he touches them, well, that's against the law. Well, not to mention he heals them so they're not lepers anymore, right? You got to figure out what do you do with that. And, and when he comes across someone, across the dead, and he touches them, he is unclean, but he's not really unclean, right? Because he brings them to life, right? I guess they're not unclean anymore if they're alive. 
So they don't really have a category for touching the undead, I mean the dead, and making them undead, right? You see, Jesus, Jesus is entering into this, this web of laws and rules that the Pharisees have made, and, they're, and he's tearing up the web. They don't know what to do with it. And so they're, and then not on, on top of that, Jesus begins to say of himself that I am the Father are one. He's blasphemed. And so their, their response is, let's stone him, and eventually they're going to crucify him. So on the one hand, Jesus is saying very clearly in 5.17 through 20 that if the law, that the law is in place, you can't let even a single letter, an, an iota or a dot, are, are these little minuscule writings that you can miss. That sometimes if you saw them in the text, you might do like this because you weren't sure if it was a speck of dirt or it was actually written there. He says, even those little dots that we put in there, so you know whether it's a, a, a vob or not, or whether it's a iota or not, when you put those, even those little dots, they're not going to pass away. Those things will stand forever. This is the truth. But they're like, but you're not following it. <laughs> so Jesus is going, we need to see how Jesus is going to respond. He responds by saying, that he has come to not abolish, but to fulfill. The question that you and I have to ask, too, is, is this law still in effect? Is the law still in effect? How can it be possible for us to fulfill that kind of law? The answer is, the kind of law the Pharisees are talking about is not the kind of law that Jesus is talking about. If you've been with us, as we looked at Beatitudes, we saw he's talking about something different than those people are talking about. He's talking about that we have to have a heart that is after God, a heart that is meek, a heart that it desires righteousness, it hungers and thirsts for righteousness. We are to be a people who uh, desire purity. And so in the Old Testament, the people of God were always getting in trouble because although they did the sacrifices, the ceremonial, their hearts were far from God. And so Jesus is now saying, if you're going to truly follow the law, you have to follow it like I'm telling you. Your hearts have to be turned to him. And that heart needs to be followed with action. You see, the Pharisees were not the long arm of the law. They were the short arm of the law. The Pharisees manipulated the law so they could follow it. And they focused on the external. And Jesus gets onto them all the time. Matthew chapter 23, verse 5. He, he says, you are so proud of the phylacteries and the, the long tassels on your garments so that you can be noticed by men. Matthew 23, verses 6 and 7, he says, you, you love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the, in the synagogues. You love the respectful greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by men. Luke 16, 15, he says, you are those who justify your sight, your, your, yourselves in the sight of men, 
But God knows your heart, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. They didn't produce righteousness. They only pointed at it. You see, the law, as they understood it, and as they interpreted it, was not enough. There needed to be something more. So then he says, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. If you think about the righteousness of the Pharisees, he's saying, it's not that you are going to surpass the law, but the way that the Pharisees are observing the law, which is externals. And it's not with a great love. You need to follow these beatitudes. No, Jesus came to fulfill the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. What does that mean? It means that Jesus came and he looked at the law and the essence of the law, the principles, the truth of the law, and he followed all of it completely, perfectly. Now, the Pharisees were thinking he was not following it, but Jesus was getting the essence, the truth of it, and he was living it out. Jesus is the only one who has ever fulfilled the law completely. Why does that matter to you and me? Because although he completed the law, he was perfect in keeping the law. He is the only one who is holy and righteous. And so if we look at his life, we say, if he completely did it, if he fulfilled it completely, he is the only one who is righteous. He's the only one who is righteous. And he is the one who then God mounted, he, he put on top of him all of the sins of the world. He was the only one who was righteous, yet God put all the sin on him because he was the only one righteous. He is the perfect sacrifice. He had no sin of his own to atone for but he took your sin and my sin because he was perfect. He fulfilled the law, the thing that you and I can't do. So that means that now we can come to him and he offers us forgiveness by his blood, by his perfect sacrifice. He also offers to us righteousness because now God doesn't see our righteousness. He sees the righteousness of his son because Jesus fulfilled the law. And so now when he sees you and me, as messed up as we are, as we go to him, we are covered with the blood of Jesus Christ, and his righteousness is over us, so God sees the righteousness of his son on us. That's good news. So don't think that God looks at you sideways, amen, that God doesn't look at you sideways like, mm-hmm, I knew you'd do that again. But he says, righteous. It doesn't seem fair, does it? Because you know yourself, right? You're like, that doesn't seem fair. But God looks at you with great joy and love, and he says, clean, pure, beautiful, fulfilled, done. Love you. That's good news, isn't it? Jesus fulfills the law. He completes it. He's done it. Not only is he the blood sacrifice, not only is he the righteousness that covers us, but he also then sends the Holy Spirit so as to live in his people and help them complete and fulfill the law themselves. So we start looking like God more and more all the time, kind of despite ourselves, right? 
Like we are, we are regularly saying, you know, I, I, I was like that, but now I'm not like that anymore. I could never stop doing that before, but now, like, I'm moving this direction. I love the right things of God now, much more than I ever did before. Holy Spirit living within us. Living within us, as Philippians says, God is working himself out in us. We are, we are working and, and, and believing God and trusting, and the Spirit is doing this great work in concert. We're doing this in concert so that we look more like him. Well, that's a better way. That's better than the law, right? That's the law fulfilled. Whereas in the Old Testament, they could try really hard. You know, I, I had a, uh, <laughs> I, I had a, uh, I think it's it actually Bodie Bachman. He played for a uh, Rice uh, baseball team. And he said that uh, as they were playing, they made a decision that uh, they were not going to cuss anymore. And so... They as a team said, like some believers on the team, like, we're, gonna, we're not going to do this anymore. So if someone cusses, then we get to hit them in the arm. Like, yeah, that's a good idea. All right. He said, by the end of the season, the cussing was about the same, just everybody was really bruised. <laughs> and that's the way it is, right? Like, unless we have the Holy Spirit living within us, the law itself is not going to bring about righteousness. But the good news, church, is the Holy Spirit lives within us. And the the promise of the prophets was that one day those words that were written on stone would then be written on flesh and in our hearts. That's quite a contrast. So the religion of the Pharisees, although their attempt was in some way admirable, fell short. Because they really didn't follow the law. They didn't get the nature of the law, the principles of the law, nor did they have the power to, to, to keep it. And so the good news is that Jesus has come. He's fulfilled the law and the prophets. So now we can be true worshipers. It, even the ceremonial law. So we think about like what, what laws am I supposed to follow? We're supposed to still follow the moral law. Like, so that's still present. Ceremonial law, the, the practices they get, they, those, have, those have been completed in Jesus too. So we don't have to, we don't have to uh, sacrifice animals anymore. We won't be doing that on Friday, by the way. There'll be no animal sacrifices. Why? Because Jesus was that sacrifice. So on Friday, we're not killing any sheep. We're recognizing that Jesus was the lamb sacrificed for us. So that becomes our worship. We're worshiping him. It's, it's, it's beautifully expressed in John chapter 4 where Jesus is with the woman at the well. And she tries to change the conversation. You remember because he asked, go bring, bring your husband. And she's like, oh, I've got five. I don't have a husband. And, and he said, yeah, you had five. You're on your sixth. And then she changes the subject. She says, well, tell me about this worship thing. Like, are we supposed to worship at your, house, at your place or this place over here where the Samaritans worship? And Jesus says, well, there's a time that is coming and it is now that you will neither worship on that mountain or on that mountain. Although the Jews have 
have the goods in, in the law. You won't worship either, in, on either of those. You will worship in what? Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. There's a, there's a new day that has dawned where the ceremonial law has been fulfilled. If, you, if you're not in the, in the class with, with Brad and Galatians, they're going over, over all this. I'm trying to get it all in one sermon here, but if you'd like to spend more time, go, to, go hear about Galatians where they're, they're talking about the law that during the Sunday school hour. And then the judicial law. Do we still follow the judicial law? We don't follow the judicial law because the ju- judicial law was created by a, it was created in the context of a theocracy of Israel living as God as the head. That was the goal, right? That's how it was set up. And then the laws then flowed from that. Well, we don't live in a, in a community in which we serve in a theocracy. We don't live in Israel anymore. And so we can take the principles from the judicial law. We can't follow it as was written because of a different context. We continue to follow the moral law. And, and you should be pretty happy that we don't follow the judicial law because uh, if you were disobedient to parents, you could be stoned to death. Yeah. Which one of us would be standing? Uh, <laughs> uh, if you were uh, caught in witchcraft or in, in adultery, you could be stoned to death. And today, we don't, we don't follow this practice. But think about this. How do, the, how do we respond to that in the New Testament? Well, the Bible says that if you continue in these sins, the people of God, the church of God, then excludes, say you're no longer a part of this kingdom because in this kingdom, we don't do those things. So we see the laws of, uh, the, the rules in the New Testament along these same principles that if you say that you are a part of the kingdom of God, but you continue in those things and call those things which are wrong right, then you should be outside of the kingdom of God. You should be outside of God's people. Okay. Let me show you how effective these words have been in the life of our church and in the world. If we had someone come up, like Morgan today, if Morgan came up and she read the scriptures and then she began to pray, dear Lord, I I thank you so much that we're not like the sinners in the world. But Lord, thank you for making us not like the LBGTQ crowd. Thank you that we're better. Thank you that we don't struggle with the same things as politicians. Thank you that we are better than that. That our righteousness, if she said those kind of things, I want to say I would get, I'm glad you didn't. You did a very good job. Yeah. A lot of pressure. Glad you didn't go there today. How many, you know, I would get emails. What in the world happened? Why would you talk like that? We can never do that again. There are people who would say, I don't know if I want to come back here anymore. I mean, because it would, it would seem so wrong. Like, we aren't Pharisees. We're not to be Pharisees. We walk humbly before our Lord. And, and we say, like, I, I have all these same kind of tendencies and desires in my heart. And if it weren't for God, I would be participating in those things. All kinds of different things. 
And so Jesus gave the, the illustration of the, uh, the Pharisee who stood in a high place so everyone could see him, and he prayed those same kind of prayers. Lord, thank you, I'm not like that guy over there. I am righteous and pious. And mm-hmm. I, can pr- I can preach and pray in the King James Version. While the publican is in the shadows, and he's broken because he knows he's a sinner, and his only hope is a God who will give him grace and forgiveness. And so Jesus sees the publican in the shadows and says, now, that's the kind of heart you're to have, but not this proud spirit. So, brothers and sisters, as we look at the law, let us consider, not just take a sound bite of what the law is. It's, it's a full kind of thing. But as you consider the law and you consider your sin, remember that Jesus fulfills that and love him more. The law causes us to love him more. Uh, there is that momentary, ugh, I failed. And then there's that forever, ah, I've been forgiven. So look deep into the law. We continue to study the Old Testament and understand what this law and the prophets are saying as they look toward the Savior, as they hope for a day that will come in which the law will be written not on stone tablets but on the flesh of our hearts. As we participate and enjoy the law and the prophets, for none of them will ever fail because they will always be pointing to a Savior who has come, and he has come. He has fulfilled the law for us and has given us the hope of righteousness. So love Jesus more. He has fulfilled all righteousness. Love the Spirit more because he sanctifies us. Love the Father more because he never loses one that is his own. And let us celebrate today the Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was sacrificed for his people. Let the redeemed say so, redeemed.